Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like, and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with. But getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a Paperlike on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax, the Internet's most destructive comic book, and pop culture podcast. And you know, we say that, but 
I don't think we're actually destructive. I think we're here to build up. I think we're here to to mend fences. To always take that destructive with a grain of salt, everybody. I am Matt Wilson. I'm here keeping the show going again this week as Chris Sims is out um, doing some important life stuff, life stuff that he has to do and... Uh, He'll talk about that stuff when he gets back, I'm sure. Because Chris is out, I have invited another wonderful guest host onto the show. One of the advantages of Chris being out is that I get to invite great guest hosts onto the show. This week is no exception to that rule because Katie Schenkel, or Schenkel? It's yeah, like you got it's it. like ankle. Yes, the, the last time I was on, I started with that when we... Uh... When we connected up. Yeah, I, I remember that. It's a very good mnemonic. I, I think I figured it out in like my t- early 20s, and I was like, oh man, I went like 20 years without being able to have that, that touch point for people, and now I will always bring that up <laughs> whenever anybody asks. Katie is the writer of Moonlighters, which you can grab now on Comixology from Space Goat, Space Goat Productions. I always yes. want to say Space Ghost. Uh, it took me a very long time, a very long time to get that to get that right. <laughs> uh, you can also listen to Katie on the Supergirl Gab podcast, which she does with friend of the show Chris Haley, where they yep. talk at length about the Supergirl TV show and other various Supergirl media. I very much invite you to go listen to their multi-part episode about <laughs> the Supergirl movie. It was not supposed to be multi-part. We recorded it in one shot, and then we're exhausted for weeks. It was a real descent into madness, that podcast. <laughs> the last third is just us so tired. <laughs> so, I mean, it makes sense if you listen to all of them. But if you just listen to that last one, we just sound, we just sound exhausted. <laughs> but we were well, troopers. Well, uh, Katie, I'm going to do my absolute best to not exhaust you on yeah. War Rocket Ajax this week. We're going to keep it to the the normal podcast length. Uh, yeah. And um, I, I should also say that I am. I, it's easy to forget because it hasn't been on in forever. But uh, I also do a mini podcast with L. Collins and on their Intuit feed that is uh, the Crystal Claude podcast. Absolutely. People should check that out, too. Uh, We only have two episodes because uh, then it went on hiatus. So at some point, we'll be back to to do that one, too. Well, Katie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back on. uh, It was super fun to have you on as a guest last time, and it's great to have you on as a guest co-host. Thank you. I feel like I've I've upgraded. I've I've evolved in Pokemon terms. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from from meager guest to guest host. It's it's a true uh, special club to be a yeah. guest host on War Rocket Ajax. This is often the part of the show where we thank our Patreon backers, but I want to give all the Patreon supporters the the benefit of being thanked by Chris Sims. That's fine. So we will skip that this week and move right into some checks and wrecks. What do you say? Sounds good. Katie, uh, since you're the guest host, you you take the seat of honor and get to do the inaugural check. Uh, what's going on with you? What what are you checking in with? Besides uh, 
working on on Moonlighters, I I haven't. That's the thing. My the last month or so hasn't been super interesting, but I am starting to uh, plan to get hyped up for. Uh, Halloween Comic Fest, which is done by the same people who do uh, Free Comic Book Day. It's very similar, but it's done at Halloween, and it involves spookier kind of Halloween-focused comics. And comic shops then invite the people coming in to also dress up, and a lot of them do costumes and things. And it just so happens that Moonlighters is one of the books that is going to be part of Halloween Comic Fest. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm i trying not to get too uh, overwhelmed by the fact that I finally am getting to see the book in print since it's digital first. Just yesterday, um, I, had pr- I had pre-ordered some of the, like, what they call the polypacks, but they, they offer getting them early uh, in, like, packs of 25 so that people can hand them out at Halloween. And so I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that for my own book. That's a a really smart idea. Yeah, I I was encouraging people. I don't know how many people took up the offer, but I was encouraging people on Twitter uh, while it was still on pre-order or when it it could be pre-ordered. But yeah, they were only like five bucks each for 25 copies. So I was like, yes, I will take 50 copies of my of my comic for ten dollars. Thank you. Uh, so yesterday I got to actually finally like have it in my hand, uh, which was uh, very thrilling. I, I'm really like excited though to see it, um, see it in the actual shop and see people actually taking it. Um, and I'm gonna uh, actually be doing a signing in on downtown Chicago at the Graham Crackers uh, on the Loop. If anybody's in the Chicago area and wants to get a signed copy a free copy no less of of my book uh hopefully you'll come see the the most centrally located graham crackers comics in (laughs) all of chicago (laughs) it's yeah it's uh also the ones if anybody has read the um the graham crackers ladies night uh anthology that's the graham crackers that uh hosts that ladies night I now now when people go to the shops, are these going to be free, like the free comic book day yes. issues? And yours is a mini. Com- is it and the entirety of issue one, or is it oh, just part of it? Or because it's done through Comicsology, they tend to have like their digital first comics, depending on uh, depending on the publisher. It's ten full pages and. 20 of like the comiXology half page right. format. Technically it's a mini comic, but it is the full issue, the full, full first chapter. So there're going to be ch- six chapters all together and by the time uh of Halloween Comic Fest we'll have four out. So if you really like, if you go and you get it in print and you really like it, you will have three extra extra uh chapters to read online for it. So I'm looking at the I'm looking at the lineup of the the various books at yeah. Halloween Comic Fest, and many of them are very appropriate for Halloween. Some of them are a real stretch. Like I love Walt Simons and Thor, but I do not know how that ended up at Halloween Comic Comic Fest. Yeah, there were a few. I watched the live stream when they were announcing it, and there were, and I think mine was very, towards the very very end because it was also like the kids mini comics. 
which I was very worried I had missed it, like that I that it was in the first two minutes of the announcement that I didn't have my headphones in for. Right. Um, but yeah, I was going through the whole thing, and even I was like, okay, I have to keep paying attention, but I don't understand why that's... But that's part of it. That being said, there are there are quite a few uh, spooky and creepy comics as well, and and more Halloweeny themed. Yeah, there's a Sabrina book. There's uh, Batman fighting monsters. There's there's a Hellboy book. There's some Casper stuff. Uh, Donald Duck Halloween. That sounds great. Um, yeah. yeah, like uh, most of this is really good. And this is going to sound like I'm being sarcastic when I say this, and I'm absolutely not. I would love for comic shops to have one of these days every month because they – I mean there's already free comic book day. There's now Halloween Comic Fest. There was Batman Day uh, in September. Like just do one of these every month. Like do one of these like free comic – it might be too much to handle. I was going to say I, th- I feel like the financials of that because a lot of the onus is put on the comic shops. And it's right. great if it works, but it might be a little too much. But it might maybe – like, maybe like every quarter. So like – so you do like every f- like three months you do well, one of these. Well, I guess technically September and October – are in different quarters, but they might want to move Batman Day to a different month uh, since they're back to back. Yeah, yeah, that might be a little, that might be a little intense. Well, that's very exciting. I will uh, head over to my local comic shop that day. And there's and so many. Grab one there, of those. I think there's like almost two thousand shops participating. Um, I know that there are mostly in the U.S., but there are some uh, in different countries, and there is a store locator on the. Uh, on the website for it. So hopefully lots of people get to it. I I'm doing that thing in my head where I'm like, well, if there are like 1900 shops, if like only two people at every shop pick up my comic, that's still like, that's still thousands of people. I'm very excited about that. As you should be. I, I am excited for you and people need to see Moonlighters and this will be a great way for them to do it. Yay. So what is your, your check for the week. Well, uh, mine is just some some podcast housekeeping, which is, is something I often do. Um, if you have been listening to the show on the reg uh, over the past few weeks, you will know that I have been treading water, <laughs> basically uh, trying to keep the show going uh, without Chris because he's got, like I said, some important life stuff going on that uh, cannot be helped or changed. So, it prevented us from being able to do every story ever uh, for the month of September, and uh, we even got a Tumblr question or two about that. Um, one assumed that I had murdered Chris, which um, is very hurtful. <laughs> I would never. Also, uh, also, what did they expect would be the response? <laughs> well, I question. I decided I had to let Chris answer. Because what am I going to, if I say, no, I haven't murdered Chris, that yeah, just makes me yeah. look more guilty. Yeah, or the other way. Like, again, was he expecting you to be like, oh, you got me. Yeah, I, I didn't mean, think anybody would notice, but you got me. Uh, I, I, I have murdered no one. Uh, I, I write uh, books in the character of a supervillain. I am not one myself. I, am, <laughs> I do not commit those types of crimes. Chris is just out for now, and I'm hoping that we can possibly even double up on every story ever for October, or maybe we can make the next two every story ever's 
150% of an episode uh, so that it all balances out. But rest assured, uh, because it is a Patreon promise that we made, and we will keep it, that we will make up the difference at some point. Uh, we just were not able to put together one uh, for September. And uh, by that same token, um, we were supposed to be Chan for the summer on Movie Fighters, and then the summer ended, and we didn't get in our last Jackie Chan movie of uh, Around the World in 80 Days, and I really still want to do that. We also almost definitely uh, have some theatrical films that we have to go see for Movie Fighters, like uh, Happy Death Day, written by none other than Scott Lobdell. Yeah, yeah. That's certainly a thing. (laughs) That is certainly a thing uh, that I, I am fascinated by. Chris is coming back very soon, and we are going to uh, try to make up all our lost time. And look, you got some great guest hosts in the meantime, everybody. So uh, I was going to say, I've been be listening happy. because yeah. all my friends have been on it. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate this time while you have it, is what I say. Appreciate me. That's right. <laughs> you don't know what you got until, <laughs> until gone. they're gone. Uh, or until you go listen to their Supergirl podcast. I just wanted to to give people an update on what's going on with the show, and uh, and that's basically it. Now, Katie, it's time to make some recommendations. Uh, what do you have to recommend for our listeners? So this is a... It's one of those where technically I could have done it as a check because I'm not finished with it by a long shot, but I also know that this is so up my alley that if I had gotten it done beforehand... I would have been recommending it. Uh, it is, from a certain point of view, the very recently released uh, Star Wars anthology that is basically just fan fiction. Very, very famous people have come together for charity to write uh, short stories about all the weird aspects of the Star Wars universe and basically create Star Wars fan fiction. And Disney let them. And it's amazing. <laughs> I'm a, a big fan of those kinds of, like, anthology fiction books. I know they've been around for a while, but those sort of, like, all-star jam fiction books that, that start on the internet. I, Machine of Death was one of the early ones of those, I feel like. Uh, that was really good. And I feel like from a certain point of view, sort of... Just to add some Star Wars into that mix, which is very exciting. I literally have only got, and I feel so bad because I wanted to at least get to a couple of the uh, chapters. I got to through the first chapter, uh, which is, um, it is, I have the book. It's called Ramus, and it is about Ramus Antilles, who I thought might have been Wedge's father, but I think it's actually his brother. Uh, but it's written by Gary Whitta, who happened to also write uh, a little movie that came out last year. You know, it's a, it was kind of small. I don't know if everybody saw it, but it was called Rogue One. Uh, <laughs> and uh, which was a movie that I have mixed feelings about, but generally, like, I can I appreciate what most of it. Uh, but it's actually about literally the moments right, the very last moment of Rogue One and what happens in between that and A New Hope. Antilles is the captain on the ship that Leia is taking, the one that ends up getting captured, and they figure out pretty quickly that the Empire is probably going to find them, but maybe they can maybe they can get to Tatooine and kind of disperse uh, 
So it's about them trying to prepare and about Antilles, um, kind of his thought process. And I don't want to give away, but there's a, there's a part, um, where he's talking from, it's from in third person, but in his point of view, he has this like little glimmer of hope about something, but because we are the audience who knows what happens in new hope, it's kind of, it's one of those things where the, the audience knows exactly what he doesn't in a really cool way. Yeah. It's that, that great uh, dramatic irony that you get every now and again. Yeah. Uh, So that was, it was a really good start to it. Um, Among the other writers of this, I'm just going to name off because they're conveniently all on the front cover. And and Uh, many of these are like direct shot in the arm comic book. (laughs) Hey, comic book people, you'll like this book. Names. Yeah, yeah. I mean, te- Kelly Sue DeConnick, Paul yeah. Dini, um, Ben Acker, who uh, who did a Thrilling Adventure Hour, but he he has also done a bunch of comics. Glenn Weldon, and also Ben Blacker, who his his writing partner. I don't know if they wrote anything to get in, yeah, actually, in there together I, or separately. He, his name's a little a little lower because it's in alphabetical order. So I was like, oh yeah, he is here. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, um, let's see, uh, Ashley Eckstein, who uh, is the voice of uh, Asaka and is basically, has a a merchandise empire (laughs) with her universe. Kieran Gillen, Matt Fraction, uh, and uh, Griffin McElroy also has one. So, Uh, like, people that I all really like, and and many of whom have already written uh, officially for Star Wars in the past, uh... And they're all just writing these kind of all these stories that will never would never have made it into the movies because they're so like tiny, but they're all those things that like fans think about and like the weird the weird elements of the universe and like what it, how did this happen or what was this like? Uh, so I'm just super thrilled that this book exists. All the proceeds, uh, the author proceeds, uh, go to First Book, which is a leading nonprofit that provides new books, learning materials, and other essentials to educators and organizations serving children in need. Uh, and uh, Disney and Penguin Random House have also donated uh, a ton of money through this project already. So um, it's a good cause. And it's also just a, a crap ton of really fun, really fun stories about Star Wars. So uh, I'm really, I'm really excited to read more about it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that like the, those fiction jams, you know, those short stories. Like, even if the story you're currently reading, you're currently on, is not your favorite. You'll get you another know, one. The right? next yeah. one's just in a few pages. So yeah, yeah, I'm very determined to read from front to back. I don't want to skip around. Um, and that's kind of that's been my uh, my plan for the next uh, few weeks when I actually have time to sit down and, <laughs> and read more of it. Just to list off a few more names, uh, Greg Rucka. Yeah. John, John Jackson Miller, who wrote some Iron Man comics back in the day. Charles Soule. Mallory Ortberg. Yeah, and uh, Delilah S. Dawson, who is getting into writing comics now but has been an author... Uh, writing, you know, fiction, fantasy, sci- sci-fi kind yeah. of stuff for a while. And, and, and uh, she, she wrote the Phasma book. She wrote the Phasma book. It's really weird that some of these people are mutuals with me on Twitter, so I feel very... I'm like, uh, you're... It's... Like, she and uh, Adam Christopher are both people I've, I kind of at least casually know, and that's always surreal to me when I'm like, oh yeah, hi, you. 
talked about like we talked about fried rice on Twitter before. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's super duper cool, and yeah. uh, that's a book I I really want to pick up and check out too. I read one chapter and I'm sold, so I would I would highly recommend checking it out. Well, my recommendation is a movie that uh, I decided to to watch over the weekend. I uh, hit up the old red box and uh, I grabbed a couple movies. That old chestnut. <laughs> that old chestnut. Um, because I had an evening free and uh, my wife was out of town and I was just like, I'm going to watch me some movies. So I, I got uh, – this is not my rec because Chris has already recommended it so highly – uh, but I, I watched Fate of the Furious finally, uh, which was everything uh, it was <laughs> cracked up to be and more. But I also grabbed uh, The Big Sick, um, which is the movie about uh, Kumail Nanjiani, stand-up oh, comic, right. and uh, his wife, Emily Gordon. They co-wrote the movie, who is also herself a writer, and I think she's a, she's produced a lot of things. Um, a very prolific... Um, Hollywood person who may not be like as out there invisible, and she's not actually she doesn't play herself in the movie, um, so she may not be quite as notable as Kumail is, but is as integral into the in the movie as Kumail is for sure. Um, but it's about them meeting and then kind of breaking up, and then her immediately uh, going into a medically induced coma because of a a medical issue uh, that the doctors don't understand or know what it is. I will say this for Zoe Kazan, who is the the actress who plays Emily in the movie. She establishes an incredible presence to spend the entire second act of the movie in a coma. <laughs> I've heard of this movie, and I... I actually knew a little bit about um, about the couple uh, because I think I followed her on Tumblr for for quite a while. I forget. Oh, I think because she was on at midnight with him. Yeah. Uh, a while, quite a while ago. So like, I fo- I, I found her on Tumblr. I've known about that. I didn't know that the I didn't know about the coma or coma uh, plot point in the movie. So that's a surprise to me about their relationship. But I did not. Yeah, I did not hear about that. Uh, that interesting second act twist. I don't think it's a secret that that's what happens, but uh, I, I'll I leave it at that. I just missed it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll leave it at that as far as uh, what happens after that. You'll be interested to know, Katie, since you're a, a Chicago person, that uh, the movie set in Chicago, there's a lot of kind of Chicago-specific stuff in it um, that that Chicago people will enjoy. Um but it's it's double interesting to me because Emily Gordon is a transplant to Chicago from North Carolina, which is what I was when I lived there. And um, her parents show up after she goes into the coma, and they're played by Holly Hunter and Ray Romano. Uh, and they talk about how they're from North Carolina. And I have to talk about my favorite scene in the movie, which okay. is after uh, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano show up. They go to a comedy show where Kamel is doing stand-up, and there's this very, very terrible, bro-ish Wrigleyville guy who is heckling uh, Kumail uh, as he's as he's doing his bit, as he's doing his act, and uh, Holly Hunter like just gives it right back to him, 
and almost gets into a fist fight with this guy. And Holly Hunter is absolutely 1000% amazing in that scene. <laughs> I love Holly Hunter. She's lovely. Yeah, she's great. Uh, yeah. She's she like once she and Ray Romano show up in the movie, um, it sort of takes off and uh, really becomes something different and beautiful. There's also a lot of stuff about Kumail's family uh, and how they want to arrange a marriage for him, and he doesn't want to do that. Um, and so there's some tension there, and. While there's still kind of like a familial tenderness between them, it's it's done really well. And I think it is – if you want like a comedy with some heart, uh, The Big Sick is is one to, to go for. I, I ended up even liking it more than I thought I would. Um, nice. So uh, that is my rec. All right, Katie, that's going to do it for our Checks and Rec segment. Let's talk about some of the comics that came out this week. Let's do it. Perhaps appropriately to kick off comics in the month of October, uh, Eugenic <laughs> number one was absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and I and I even like I read it late at night, and I was like, "Oh, this was a this was a smart move right before <laughs> right before I go to sleep." Should we explain that it's basically part of an? It's it's part of a trilogy. The way that like that Cloverfield and what's a ten Cloverfield Lane are technically in, like, it's kind of a sequel, but it's set in a, it's vaguely similar themes, but not in the same continuity sort of thing. It's sort of like th- three different episodes of Black Mirror. Yeah, and um, I know someone else had had mentioned Black Mirror, too. Every episode, something bad happens. With so bad. Having to do with technology in the future. Um, so this is by uh, James Tiny in the Fourth, uh, a writer that we talk about on this show often yeah. and artist eric donovan who uh also did the art for quantum teens or go yeah um so i i guess they this is their third of these together uh they did mimetic I, I, in 2014 i'm really looking forward to us trying to get all the words right because they all sound vaguely similar yeah it's it was mimetic uh three years ago yeah and then cognetic uh in 2015 now, I've read Mimetic. I have not yeah. read Cognetic yet. Mimetic is, I, I found, really, really good and seems to get more timely every month, like every day, because it's about, yeah. it's about an internet meme that destroys humanity. Yes, it's within about like, an, Within like a week. <laughs> it's, it's about a meme that, that has destructive power. Um, and, and, Cognetic sort of does that too. It's more about like direct control of people by a, a being. Um, whereas eugenic <laughs> is about um, a lot of things. Actually, it's about, it's about a lot of things. It's about a a humanity destroying disease. It's about an, an epidemic. Um, it's about the cure possibly being worse than the disease. It's about reflecting on nine eleven, which was yes. a, which was a large part of it, and tying it into both the the present of the comic and also the present of two thousand seventeen, our real world, which is another kind of nightmare. But all of that, I kind of expected, right? Like yeah. all of that is is total like Twilight Zone 
horror science fiction kind of stuff. Fitting very much with the other two in terms of that. The thing that got me is that it also has this theme about someone who is themselves part of a minority population trying to fix humanity and make it totally homogeneous is the word like yeah like totally the same so there's no more it's all he's got like good intentions there's a scientist he's a gay man yeah he develops the cure to this disease and it also alters everyone's genetics completely so that humanity is forever and he does it on purpose like that's that's a very clear and and his reasoning is that he's looked back on both what happened after 9-11, where he has a really, again, a really um, insightful... If, in any other comic, this would have been very insightful. The fact that he uses this later to commit horrible, horrible things makes it a little, a little harder. But he talks about how his mother saw the aftermath of 9-11 as people coming together and the best of humanity, whereas years later he found out from his from his husband that his husband's family was persecuted because because they're muslim and that and that i think her i think his husband his husband's uncle i think had died in a hate crime like fairly recently after i believe that's how the how they talk about it so there's some really like thoughtful things that this character says clearly Clearly, he has this this very specific look back at where they've been in the past, and he want he doesn't want the same mistakes to be made over and over again. But how he goes about it is horrifying. <laughs> yeah, because the 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 homogeneous version of humanity that he's created is monstrous looking, which gave me a real Twilight Zone vibe, like the 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 episode of the Twilight Zone where. The person, the the lead character wakes up and then everybody like looks like a pig person, basically. Yeah. And and they're the gross one because they look like a human being. And so so that was a strange thing. I think this comic really walks a tightrope. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I think I said walks a very careful line was the way I, I phrased it last night. Yeah, and and you know, I can only come at it from my perspective. I think it does a a pretty good job of walking that tightrope. But if somebody said no, it doesn't. You could I would, understand. Yeah. I could totally understand because, like, there's definitely a, a voice in my head who was like, "Is it weird that the that the scientist who's doing this is is gay himself? Um, that he wants to create this like." this version of humanity that basically gets rid of different sexualities and different races. Um, and, and there is, you know, there is a part in the book where there's a confrontation where a, a black man basically says, you can't do this. Yeah. You are, ba- he, he brings up the point that he goes like, you'll never, black people will never be persecuted again. He goes, because there'll be no b- more black people. That's not tolerance or equality. That's just you destroying people. Like, yeah, and I think I think there's something they were very careful to not have. I think that here's the thing: the monstrous thing he does isn't that the the babies look 
horrifying to us. I don't think that that's the the horrifying thing is that he is erasing he is erasing the humanity that was there. Like that was his point was that he didn't and not only just fi- not only just visibly, but he said like there will be no more trans people because people I have I have genetically altered them to that that there will be they will always be the right gender from birth. Not no one will be attracted to the same gender uh, because that that causes people to persecute them. Everybody will basically be the same except for like very 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 slight differences. And it was that part that's horrifying. Not the not necessarily the fact that that the that their mouths are monstrous or that they have eyes in weird places. So I think that that's, I think that's the part that works for the book. It could have really leaned into an almost ableist point there, but I feel like the fact that they make a, they make a real good point of, of having the audience be mostly horrified by him because of, because of him wanting to basically erase individuality. Well, I won't give away what what happens to all those people in the room. Sorry, I just we... I feel like we are we're spoiling a decent amount of the of, well, of the there's, twist. There's so much to chew on in this comic book, and it accomplishes so much in a single issue. It really does. Like it's it's really impressive how tight the the issue is. I think I forget how many pages it. It was. I think it was longer than twenty because yeah, it's, it's a, it's it's a three-part series. It's more than a, a typical uh, first issue or typical single issue of comics. It didn't feel but, that long though. It felt pretty tight. Well, it, what's weird is like when I first started reading it, and I was like, "Huh." So this, the first like eight pages of this comic book are just like an interview. Yeah. Are just like this this character giving an interview and kind of giving the backstory of what's happening in this world. That's. An interesting choice, and that's a very talky comic. And then by the end of it, I was like, "That was a lot! Like yeah. a lot happened in there." Um, and and the next issue is going to be like a a big time jump forward. Yep, I got to see what happens. I got to see. What oh, happens. I'm 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 down. Um, also, just shout out to um, oh Eric Donovan. Yeah, content warning: there's a decent amount of gore in this mo- in this book. Very um, much so. Yeah. If you've read the other two, at least. I know for Mimetic, uh, yes, also. Lots of body horror, lots of gore. Um, but it's really interesting to look at gore. Uh, Eric Donovan is clearly having a lot of fun with this with this project, and a lot of the character designs, especially uh, for the new babies, are really like horrifying but fast like really interesting to look at. So uh yeah, this is going to be a fun this is going to be a fun little mini series, I think. Moving from a book that that has a lot of layers and a lot to chew on uh to All-Star Batman number 14, which is a a book that has a a robot ninja Alfred. <laughs> I love Wait, so is all right, so here's here's the fun thing about me. Um while I while I'm able to keep up with a lot of the rebirth stuff through osmosis, like just sure. pop culture osmosis and the fact that I know way too many comic fans. Uh so I I hear about this stuff. I haven't actually been reading All-Star Batman like much. I've just seen mostly pages here and there. So yeah. I I went into this into this last issue, because it is the last issue of All-Star Batman, uh, kind of just going, okay, I'm just going to jump into it. And so uh, I was not even aware with this that it was supposed to be a robot. I assumed it was just a clone. I mean, he is a clone. He's just like okay. a, like a, a robot suit. Okay. Um, and, and the reveal of 
But yes, clone, being, clone of Alfred. The reveal of him being an Alfred clone is uh, something that does definitely <laughs> happen in this issue. It really uh, does. <laughs> uh, also, also, Alfred uh, is has has space pirates help him uh, save Batman. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's none of this surprises me because it's Scott Snyder doing. Batman for all star Batman. I know the score. I know how this goes. Really bonkers stuff happens in Scott Snyder's Batman books. Yes, and all star Batman has been like the ramping up of that to eleven, if not <laughs> higher on the dial. Right, like this story has been going on for a while. This is the the collaboration between Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque. Yeah, it's like an Alfred pirate story about his old. Royal Air Force nemesis. Um, who was once his mentor, right? Who or was like, once his mentor. Yeah. It's, it's, like a, it's like a weird Alfred pirate story, plus spy story, plus like Alfred taught Batman everything he knows kind of thing. Yeah. It does explain the age-old question of, okay, how was he in the Secret Service and stuff, and then just happened to become a butler for this like random family who then had a son who just happened to be Batman. How did all these things happen <laughs> together? And yeah. and this and this tries to explain it, but along the way we have clone cyborg Alfreds and uh and, and flying pirates. Yeah, it's great. I like I love how just out there it is, how like not a traditional Batman story it is. How like there, you've got like Air air dog fights in this comic book, uh, and and oh oh, Can we, wait. There's the there's the page that references the T-shirt. Yeah yeah no, I wanted to make sure that we brought this up because I <laughs> I had to stop reading for a moment and just put the and I went oh okay who went Snyder went there okay here's here's the funniest thing because it's Alfred being quippy but he's clearly being quippy towards the towards his nemesis who is on the. I, other plane yep he is not like he's not hearing you um i don't know maybe there's an intercom and i've and I've missed it in the thing but he says uh his emphasis says like you're pretending to be a dark knight one last time eh and alfred says well i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna try to do a vague accent just to get because it need you need it for this please do please, i'm gonna try please do this because because it just makes it all right. Well, there's a saying in this country, Briar: always be yourself, unless you can be Batman. And then he takes a giant gun and says, "But sadly, I can never be Batman because Batman doesn't use guns." Okay, so the thing about always be yourself, unless you can be Batman. <laughs> The fact that there is a saying in the DC universe that is that popular T-shirt that you I, see at comic conventions. I I like to think that Alfred is very tech savvy, and and I like to think that if only to make fun of Bruce, he looks up all the memes about Batman. He looks up all the bootleg t-shirts. He looks up all the boot like for for Bruce's birthday, he makes all of the bad kids wear these wear these bad t-shirts just to mess with Bruce. Yeah. These are the kinds of things because Alfred is the best. And and it's so nice to see Scott Snyder just basically troll everyone with this. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's also just nice to see Alfred get mad. It's nice to see Alfred like have 
some emotions um, yeah. that aren't just and like being help sad. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think Scott Snyder, because I, I read um, a lot of his uh, Jim Gordon as Batman stuff. And I do mm-hmm. think he, I don't think he gets enough credit for, he has all these, again, he had Jim Gordon be, be Batman and have his own like little suit that he talked to. And he has, he has everything that also Batman did and he's orchestrated a lot of the weirder stuff that's going on in, in DC right now, but he's also really good at, and not forgetting about the characters and their relationships. And he seems to really respect the, the relationships between, between Bruce and the other ones. So Bruce never seems, it always feels like Bruce seems pretty human when he writes, even when he's doing crazy things. And I feel like this was a really good, issue to end his all-star Batman run because so much of it is about Alfred's emotions and Alfred's relationship with Bruce in a very, I don't want to say realistic way, because again, there's a, there's a clone of him that he has to fight. And then the only thing Bruce basically does in this issue is throw rock at him. <laughs> it's and, and it, that's the thing. It's like yeah, that's the only thing Batman does in this. Basically, he is he needs to be rescued the rest of the time. Um, but there, but the last scene or two of the issue is so is so sweet and so. But it's not like overly sweet. It's not too sentimental because it does point out that that Alfred could very well be. Like it's a pretty codependent relationship, and and he's helping Bruce with not always so healthy life choices, if to say the least. Uh, and the and the book seems to address that, but it's it just feels like for people who are fans of the Bat Family, especially of Alfred, this was a really nice issue with some really really uh, nice moments, sweet moments. Yeah, I agree, and I I think it. I think you're right. the The reason Scott Snyder's Wilder, you might even say Buck Wilder <laughs> stories, uh, really work is because they have that core of character consistency and character relationships that don't change, and that that are true. Um, and and I think that's the reason he has license. To go and do that, like you know, wild Jim Gordon is Batman stuff, and Batman being having the mantling done to him stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's um, that you know that other that other little mini series going on, all that yeah. stuff. Apparently, All Star Batman, even though it's not continuing as an ongoing comic series, um, will continue in some other format. Um, his artistic, his collaborations with the artists that he wanted to collaborate with, they're still going to happen at some point in some fashion. So that is good to know. Um, one last comic that I wanted to talk about a little bit, because I feel like it's representative of like what Marvel legacy is going to be in practice. Cause we saw like a little bit of an introduction to Marvel legacy with Marvel legacy number one, but, but, you know, want to see how that's going to play out in the books themselves. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Avengers number 672 uh, by Mark Wade and Jesus Saiz. I didn't hate this issue. It, yeah, I, I would say I didn't hate it. My problem is, is that I don't like how Mark Wade writes the champions. 
every sure. the dialogue is not great. Um, even when even when he's not using like super weird what he thinks like kids lingo is, just I don't think he nails the characters very well. And considering that was like half the cast of uh, of this book, uh, because it's about champions and the Avengers teaming up, so it was kind of like oh. Again, it wasn't. I wasn't mad at anything really. There wasn't anything that like it. Just parts of it just didn't really click for me. Um, I will say I'll, the one big shout out because I'm sorry. And who was the artist on that again? Uh, Jesus Saiz. He has a really good. Um, actually, the one character I thought was pr- written interestingly, and I'm, I'm almost interested about their what they're going to go with is Viv, um, who is Vision's daughter. And, and they have a little interaction that's obviously very tense after after uh, everything that they went through in uh, in the Vision's uh, main book not that long ago. But there's this, uh, there's this one page where Viv runs into a burning building and she's phasing through one panel and she comes out the other... And it's just a really, a really fun, good choice in terms of, in terms of the layout. I thought that was really clever, and so that was kind of that. It was fairly early on in the book, and I and that was just kind of a treat for me. Yeah, I also like the way he draws the Amadeus Cho version of the Hulk, and and I thought Amadeus Cho was pretty well represented in this comic. I liked the little Hercules Hulk moment or Hercules Amadeus show moment that we got. I like seeing them together anytime. And I thought the centerpiece action sequence in here, where it's basically the Avengers and the champions versus a meteor um, that's going to hit Benito Serino's hometown of Lexington, Kentucky. (laughs) I felt like that action sequence was, was pretty well devised, even though there's, there was one part where I just didn't understand what was happening. I don't know if that was the art of the script is it, the, um, is it the one where there are two different conversations in two different locations, but you cannot tell which was which? That was like right before that, right before the asteroid fight scene thing. No, the <laughs> one I was thinking of is the one where um, the wasp shoots the meteor with oh, yeah. hem particles, and then it disappears, but then it comes back? I read that, like, three times, and I, could, I still don't understand what they were going for. Yeah, I, and then, but then it's smaller anyway, because she did shrink it. I didn't really get what was going on there at all, but um, aside from, like, a few little weird missteps like that, I thought the the dialogue in that part was pretty good, and I thought it was, like, you know, pretty exciting action sequence kind of stuff. What makes me hopeful about it is that I, I feel like if, if this is truly representative of what Marvel legacy is going to be and what sort of like the, the mission statement of Marvel legacy is, I am behind it behind the idea of like, you know, it's not, it's not a reversion back to one. It's not going back to the old characters. It's throwing everything together in the salad bowl, right? It's like yeah. get, putting everything in there. And it's like, now we have all these characters yeah. and they're all going to be featured and they're all going to be part of the teams and they're all going to be in the mix. And we're, it's not like we're getting rid of this other Spider-Man. It's not like we're getting rid of Ms. Marvel. It's not like we're getting rid of, you know, visions family. Um, well, they're all here now. 
Well, some of them are. Some of them, I mean, some of them are gone. Um, <laughs> but, but like, but like, it's not like they're getting rid of, you know, the the Amadeus Show Hulk. It's just there's Amadeus Show and Bruce Banner. Yeah, and and that's good. Like, I don't mind that at all, and I hope that that is where. Uh, Marvel Legacy yeah. goes. I, I'm all for Legacy. I mean, again, I'm a Bat Family person. I'm all for Legacies. I'm all for characters interacting. Like, that's that was one of my big problems with the New 52 when, like, early New 52, because it didn't feel like there were a lot of characters that had actual, like, built relationships, and they weren't interacting a lot, so... Um, even when there weren't like where there were not so great team ups, I was still excited to see team ups because I just wanted to see characters like talking to each other uh, yeah. and occupy occupying the same space. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm appreciative of that. I I hope that um, I yeah I hope that they can do some interesting things. I don't know if I'm going to be keeping up with the the adventures just because again I I'm not a huge fan of um, of how Wade does some of his dialogue, but I'm interested to see, to at least hear about, about how this uh, plot goes and where they're, where they're planning to go from here. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to dip my toe in and see how it was going yeah. and, and just much the same way. I don't know if I'll keep up with this book particularly, but it gave me a little hope for Marvel legacy as a, a thought experiment, a project, a, whatever it is you want to call it. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for our comic segment. Katie, Let's dive into some questions from our listeners, and let's talk a little bit about Moonlighters. Okay. Uh, a lot of times, this segment of the show, the interview segment, um, it, it can be it can be very stuffy and formal, and I don't want to do that this time. I don't want to have a an interview, I ask you question segment, and then a Twitter question segment. So, I want to just so do I it should, all. So I should take off my monocle. Is what that's you're right. Saying. Please do. Please do. And the top um, hat. That's right. Uh, that's, uh, this is not white tie. Uh, this is <laughs> this is very this is very chill and okay. very very bizcaz. Put on your plaid shirt, and we'll just we'll just chat, and I'll throw right. in some Twitter questions. Uh, whenever I feel like it, but I wanted to to bring up one thing that you mentioned before when you were talking about Halloween Day. <laughs> I already forget Halloween the... Comic Fest. Halloween Comic Fest. Thank you very much. You talked about the format of Moonlighters, and that's something I noticed as I've been reading it. Um, it's it's in those kind of like comicsology half pages, digital. Like I guess to make it more phone reader friendly. I think that, yeah, if you're going to ask me why, I'm like, I have no idea that's how they told me they were going to speed yeah, it up. I, I, I'm not asking why. <laughs> okay, good. But I'm interested in if that makes it any different for you, process-wise, as a writer. Like, do you, do you want to, does it make you, you know, ask for fewer panels on a page and think more about that format as you're scripting for, for Cal Murray, um, then, you know, if you were just writing, you know, a full pages, full page size comic, not entirely. Um, the first couple issues, I feel like Cal and I were both feeling each other out, which was very nerve wracking, by the way. Re- writing <laughs> that first issue, 
where I didn't really know Cal very well. Um, I think I talked to them about the character design, so we had emailed back and forth just a little bit, but not much. Now we're we're way more comfortable with each other. But I knew how many I knew how many panels could reasonably fit on a page. I I have a sense of of beats and character, you know, where dialogue needs to go. I have that sense. And I've mostly been trusting Cal to choose where the cutoff point is. And they have a pretty good sense of of where that needs to be. Uh, And also, occasionally, I'll I'll get an email back going like, hey, I want to add another panel, or I want to split up this dialogue, which... Oftentimes is something that I had already written in the script, and then when I've edited it before I before I send it off to to JD our editor, and then sent it off to Cal, I would have already done. But then I thought like, oh well, I don't want to I don't want to write too many panels. Maybe I should make this one panel, and then Cal will be like, oh no, I, I split it up. So so it I, a lot of it is just kind of the back and forth between Cal and I of. I trust them to know where to put that, and if they think that there's something that's not going to work, then we I can always go back to the drawing board and adjust if if for some reason they they don't think that that it would work that way. It's usually about I think I've been able to squeeze seven panels into like a page nor at most, but it tends to be five or six. So it it it's not too hard to figure out around where the cutoff point is. And we're also thinking in the long run that when it gets printed, it's going to be a full page. Well, that's something I wanted to ask about because it's not something people may notice if they're reading it on comiXology. Yeah. Um, because you know, you're just looking at one page at a time, but if you're, if you're (laughs) scrolling through this as a PDF, you can see where, it connects together as like a full comic page. Yeah. Like where the top and bottom connect together. And it's like, part of me was just like, that's a really cool effect. And then I was like, Oh, that, because that's going to be, that's going to be printed that way. Eventually it's interesting how you kind of have to make it work in these half pages and make it work in, in, you know, the idea of this being a full page at the same time. Yeah, there there are a couple pages in two and three where Cal clearly leaned towards the full page because it cuts like a little bit of the panel above it is yeah. on is on the bottom one. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things where if someone has a complaint, what are you gonna do? You already bought the car. <laughs> I, but I don't. I, I, it's not something I th- I would think somebody would complain about. I think it's cool. I think it's yeah. like a cool, like visual, like oh, th- things are continuing from this page to the next. Yeah, and I honestly, I'm I'm so impressed with Cal because that's it's not a hinder. I wouldn't call it a hindrance, but it it's a little bit more of a challenge than if it was just a full page that we'd be putting out for print and and uh, they could completely use the page however they want. So I'm always impressed by how they're able to make things be really fluid and the layouts look really great. I was worried it was going to be clunky because we have that requirement, and it's like every issue just keeps getting better. So, yeah, it's it's turned out pretty good. We will see when I write. Uh, I'm, I'm just starting to write uh, issue six coming up, so uh, we will see how that goes. <laughs> But and, yeah, and for the benefit of the listeners, um, the 
issues one through three are available now. Yep. And issue four is going to be out November 1st, so it is uh, fast approaching, right? I was hoping that it'd be out by by Halloween Comic Fest, but I guess people will have to wait like a day or two. But yeah, it's it's fast. It is fast approaching for issue four. I'm sorry. Go. What what was your uh, your your comment? Well, I was just I was just going to let people know about those those release dates. Um, oh, yeah. And I you know I think maybe it's time uh, to take a quick uh, Twitter question and and uh, see how that goes. This is from uh, Tales to Enrage on Twitter. Uh, too tall, Greg, is his name right now. We're gonna okay. get a, we're gonna get a lot of Halloween names uh, over the next <laughs> couple weeks. Um, Greg wants to know: um, Do werewolves feel an intense urge to plant crops during harvest moons? Mine don't, but I can't speak for other people's ridden werewolves. I don't think mine are really farming types. I think they might garden. I could almost see them maybe planting a garden, but. I don't think that they're really crop type. At least mine aren't. I'm, I, like I said, I don't want to speak for all for all writers of werewolf stories. Well, you know, you got your you got your urban werewolf and your rural werewolf, and they have different yeah. interests. <laughs> I'm just imagining them with like the floppy, like the floppy farm hat, and like and like overalls. They're just yeah. they're just gentle folk. It's living it's off just, the land. It's just the city mouse and the country mouse story. Uh, repeating itself every yeah. time. Uh, let's do one more Twitter question. Okay. Um, this one is from CJ Tour on Twitter, uh, who wants has a question for both of us about the locale again about city werewolves. Um, oh. They want to know uh, besides London, what is the best city for werewolves? I'm trying to think where there would be. Would it be better for them to have no moons or to have lots of moons? <laughs> and yeah, I it, don't. Somewhere above the Arctic Circle uh, would be an interesting place for... Oh my gosh, just always, always moons. The easy one would be like, oh, my hometown of Chicago. That's like, because it's a nice city. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to think of a clever answer, but I'm not doing very good. Miami would be bad, because as we know, there is a moon over Miami. Sometimes there are moons over Miami, so... Yeah. Moons over Miami? Is that a Denny's thing? Well, I think my, that's a Denny's yeah, thing. Yeah, my hammy is straight out. Are... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think I have a good answer, uh, but I do feel like the one good thing about Chicago is is that they at least have a couple of 24-hour uh, trains going at, like, all times. So, like, if you get stuck with, like, mid-transformation or something and you need to, like, sneak home, you don't have to... You can just hop on the train. It'll take you home. That's true. Uh, you can you just get right on the right on the red line. Um, yeah. I, my answer is uh, that it is not a city at all. It is in fact country werewolf. It is in fact the French countryside, uh, as depicted <laughs> oh, the in French countryside. Oh. That's right. As as depicted in the two thousand one film Brotherhood of the Wolf, Le Pacte de Loup. <laughs> Speaking of like. I guess horror werewolves. Okay. As opposed to the, adorable, the more the more yeah. comedic lighter tone of Moonlighters. Um I think we talked about this a little bit last time you were on, but Yeah. Do you do you find that hard to juggle? Do you th- do you feel like there might be some readers coming to Moonlighters 
looking for a little more scary than there is. They might. I mean, it's one of those things where I do add a little. I wouldn't necessarily say it's you know horror. I mean, we just we did just read a comic that that has like flesh. Oh yeah, like people blood. melting. It, yeah, people <laughs> melting. I'm not gonna put people melting in my kids in my kid friendly comic about werewolves. But yeah. there are there are a decent amount. I think I might have described it on the last the last time I was on as like Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secret type scariness. Like maybe Harry Potter two or three in terms of in terms of um scary elements to my story. So there's definitely some of that there is still some spookiness and certainly uh there's going to be some tense things coming up uh which if i mean at least foreshadowed in book three i feel like or in uh issue three i don't want to give too much away but there is definitely i'm trying to be as vague as possible that's why (laughs) that's why i'm going around in circles a little bit there's there's uh a, a, a surprise that occurs uh, involving, um, I, we'll say Greek myth. <laughs> that's, that's vague enough. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I do have. I feel like it's there's some tension and some suspense uh, and some child friendly scares. In my book, uh, which was kind of what we we're just—that's what we're aiming for. Um, and hopefully, even if you tend to lean towards the more uh, the more rated R sort of horror werewolf stories, hopefully you still get a kick out of it for what it is. You know? Yeah. I also think that, um, or hope very deeply that you are going to explore um, the concept of. Not only a college admissions test for magic and monster uh, beings, but also the idea of college for magic and monster beings. Slight spoiler: I'm not going to get to that uh, this arc. I'm hoping because there's that's already set. Um, Yeah, I felt I felt a little bad, and I've thought about this. They've barely been you've barely seen their campus, like. Um, that's definitely something that I've thought about for potential, uh, extra arcs. I, I have no word one way or the other, uh, but it's, I'm certainly already starting to try to brainstorm for things. So I want to, I would like to do more things actually involving, uh, their college stuff. Um, unfortunately, my, my kids are just very busy with their little side business, <laughs> and um, all the plot has been uh, has been focused on them slowly climbing the ladder of success, uh, mostly on the weekends and evenings. Yeah, it, it, hence the title. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so- I'm hoping to. But I am hoping to dive more into some world building uh, if if and when there's uh, there's the next arc. So. Well, I am excited to know more. Twitter questions. Here's one from Angelus, I guess. At Barely Sushi on Twitter. And um, Katie, if you don't mind, I, I'm going to field this one. Okay. Um, the question is, do Stone Cold HCC vape? Um, this is a question about 
a Twitter account that uh, exists only to ask questions on War Rocket Ajax, uh, Stone Cold HCC. And okay. my initial answer is to say you would have to ask him. Um, he he clearly uh, has very distinct uh, rules and ideas of his own universe, and I don't want to impose anything upon him. But if I had to guess, I would say that Stone Cold HCC does not vape. Um, he is waiting for whatever the vape equivalent of chewing tobacco is. Whatever I understood vape... none of that, but I hope that that educates someone. Yeah, whatever vape chaw is, Stone Cold HCC uses that. I, I don't. It's not a solid, though. It's not a solid. <laughs> I'm having a trouble. This is like you know how how in old sci-fi when they tr- they're trying to get the robot stumped, and so they give him like an impossible. That that's this because I, I think can... it. I think it may just be nicotine gum, actually. Okay, um, maybe. Or some kind yeah. of gummy? Okay, some I get... Of, some kind I of gummy? <laughs> some kind of gummy. Not even, not even addictive, just like, just like vitamins. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, back to questions for you, Katie. This one's from okay. WC underscore WIT on Twitter, um, who asks, If Moonlighters was a musical, what would the main genre of music be for the songs? I feel like they'd be... Because here's the thing, I have a secret, I, I do have a secret playlist that I've, that I've played when I need to kind of get my head in the game for, for Moonlighters. And it's largely just songs that I think that the different characters would like. I feel like it'd be a decent amount of pop, a decent amount of kind of a Broadway pop, you know? I mean, if I'm going for the gold, like, we'll just get Lin-Manuel Miranda to, to score it. That's, so it will be, like, good... Yeah, I think like good poppy alterna rock kind of college good jams. Just just good jams. Yeah. I mean each of the <laughs> Oh, there's an episode title. Just good jams. I get the sense that each of the characters would have their own sort of tone to their songs to to differentiate themselves. Um I feel like I feel like uh, Felipe would be really into Korean pop. Okay, or sure. Or K-pop. And then Sue uh, would be into uh, weird adaptations of video game music. So like, uh, chip, so like chiptune kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, I think she gets... She gets into, like, a lot of different, like, YouTube type like youtubers who do weird mashups of like of video game music. I feel like Renee would be the most poppy in terms of music. Again, she's the just good jams. And since she's the point of view character, I feel like then it's very apropos that the that the musical leans towards that the whole way. Yeah. And then and then uh you learn in issue two that Meg has a, a, poc, a punk rock background, and I think that uh, she's developed a very, a very like specific uh, group of uh, pop rock rock songs. That sounds like a musical I would go see. Good. Uh, I, I like just throw. I I think for for uh, just throw one cramp song in there. Uh, just make it just 
one that's wildly out of out of character with the rest of it. But um, each character having a theme that uh, flows through their storyline and, and, and motifs that return back up in reprise. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to have those. Um, this is a question from Mike Sterling on Twitter. Uh, our good friend is a comics retailer, uh, but does not have a question about comics retail. He has a question about uh, the the coming Monster Wars. Uh, he asks, which side the are you coming, taking? It's already here. You're, well, of course. Yeah. Um, he wants to know, which side are you taking in the inevitable war between Draculas and Frankensteins? See, last time someone asked me vampires or werewolves, and I was like, well, I have to go with werewolves. Sure. So Draculas and Frankensteins. This one's tricky. Because I have an appreciation for both as concepts. I feel like... You know, I feel like I gotta side with the Frankensteins. Not for, like, any of their skill set necessarily, but because whereas the Draculas tend to have made an actual choice to be Draculas, at least in, depending on, obviously, the story. But there tends to be a, like, you have to decide to be one. You have to make the choice to to become an, the immortal. Uh, Frankenstein gets has a crap deal. He never went, like, they don't mean to be made. And then their creators are are complete jerks to them. So... I have I have to side with the Frankenstein's on principle because they already have they need like people in their in their corner because they've had a they've been held a bad hand. So you're going through you're going for the the sympathetic vote. Yeah, if I'm I mean if this is like it depends on am I am I rooting for them or am I joining them? That I think that might be the difference because yeah, because if you're joining them, you, you got to go with the winner you, and. You got to go with those ruthless Draculas. I mean, they're faster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they can, and they tend to have some kind of flying power of some kind. Um, but in terms of rooting, if it's like if it's a sports like scenario, and I'm simply on the sidelines and I'm rooting for them, then I feel like I can. I gotta go with the Frankenstein's. Here is a question from Coltrag on Twitter, Katie. How much do you know about grapes? Because <laughs> They want to know what's the best kind of grape. This is really weird because I think um, I was talking to some of the old Comics Alliance people about about uh, cotton candy grapes like four days ago, <laughs> um, which was a thing that was brought into my into my office, my day job. They taste like cotton. They taste like cotton candy. They actually smell more like cotton candy than they taste. They taste just sugary more than anything, but you, they smell like cotton candy. You know, I really do like green, like crisp green grapes, where you bite into it and like there's a, it's not mushy. Um, that tends to be, that tends to be my favorite. I know that that's still kind of avoiding the question, but I feel like the objectivity of this is making me very nervous. Well, literally, <laughs> literally, all I know is uh, green and red. I don't, I, I cannot tell you like different varieties of grape. I yeah, guess I. I I guess wines are named after types of grape. So. Wines are named after types of grapes, yes. So there's like um, a Cabernet or a... Yeah, or a, a well, and like and grapes... The other thing that like no one knows about me is that besides getting an English degree, I also have a culinary arts degree. Uh, so I know like random facts about, about food. Uh, but yeah, there's like a very specific type of 
of grape that goes into wine. So, like, while you could go to the grocery store, get get grapes, and make some kind of wine out of them, it's not recommended. <laughs> yeah. Ever. Like, don't do that. And now I'm going to get, like, I'm going to get some email from someone who's like, uh, actually, I do that all the time. It's a hobby. Yep. It's a hobby. And, like, and you don't know what you're talking about. Um, I, go, I go to the grocery store, I buy grapes, and I stomp on them, and they make great wine. <laughs> I tend to like green ones, but, like, the green ones are, like, really crisp. But I don't, I don't mind the, the uh, purpley ones. Those are still good. I'm being very, I'm being very um, equal grapes. Yeah, well, let's just let's just move on. Let's just move yeah, on. To, sorry, uh, sorry, to that's, not an, if that's not a satisfying <laughs> answer. But I this feel a, like I feel like I tried. This is a question from Sora Numaru on Twitter. Uh, Nick Boo Kill. Uh, is their Halloween name? Oh, I thought that uh, was the question. I was like, I have no idea what that means. Uh, no, I. Yeah, that would be quite Nick a question. Boo kill? Uh, yeah, that's like a FMK scenario. Yeah. Um, so, no, the, the question is: What other literary genre deserves werewolves? Science fiction, western, romance? First of all, one could say that there is already there's already some romance werewolf stuff. If you look at certain things that we've that we've discussed uh, on sure. this podcast, I don't think I'm being subtle about it. I even there's a there is a literal page in my in an upcoming issue where a character points out that that two characters are not being subtle about how they're acting towards each other, and I write and after. It took me, I think, a few weeks after writing it to realize that I was basically calling out myself <laughs> through my character. I mean, I feel like werewolves can should be in lots of different things. I, I think we talked in the last the last time I was on that I feel like werewolves are kind of underused or they have only been in very certain kinds of movies um, and uh, compared to other monsters that have kind of made their way into lots of different things. Uh, I think a werewolf western would be really cool. Uh, werewolf sci-fi would also be really interesting, especially like when you go out into space, how does the moon work? How, how does, if you're, if you're on the moon as a werewolf, how, how does that go? And then also, uh, werewolves falling in love is just delightful. So I am okay with all of those things and more. There you go. Approved. All approved. Um, all right. We're, we're now, uh, skidding into a segment of Twitter questions that I like to call character corner. This is where uh, fictional <laughs> oh, characters, I know, what, oh, I know you're explaining it to them, but I'm like, Oh no, I know <laughs> this is where fictional characters ask questions. I don't think Twitter. you warned me the first time I was on that that was going to happen. So then I was like, Oh, okay. It's kind of why I started doing this as yeah. a warning to the guest, as well as uh, to the listener. Um, here's one from someone we just talked about a minute ago. Stone cold HCC. An account that exists only to ask questions on War Rocket Ajax. So uh, now, so now we have to before we get to the question, we need him next time to ask a question, and then also let us know if he vapes. Yes, please don't go to the see. Um, let us know if you vape or you chew nicotine gum, which I think is the the equivalent, the vape equivalent of chewing tobacco. Um, st- here's Stone Cold's question for us this week, though. Uh, he wants to know when do you think they're finally gonna finally gonna make that game where we get to see Mario's butt? 
I mean, we see it all the time. He just has pants on. Yeah, he's just wearing those like, form-fitting overalls. <laughs> but you see the curvature. I mean, it's basically... I don't know how much more you're going to... How much more information you're going to get if he's not wearing pants. Um, and and uh, I think it's, you know, telling that um, it's only Mario's butt. Uh, that one that <laughs> no one wants to see interested. the rest. Yeah, yeah the, we don't want we don't want the the frontal part. I'm trying. To, I'm trying now. I'm doing something very stupid and looking up. No, uh, Mario. I'm no. not looking up like weird Mario fan art, but I'm looking up to see if Mario's overalls have a butt flap. I don't think they do. I, I would like to point out you're still probably going to see fan art. I mean, you well, you're probably right. Um. I'm certainly not going to search for Mario butt. I just searched for for Mario <laughs> overalls. Because, because there are more people than Mario Mario that have the name Mario. So I'm gonna, I would assume that if there's not fan art, you're going to see some other things that aren't Mario. Well, and here's, the, here's the, the, the twist to this whole thing. Okay. Almost certainly the game where you see Mario's butt already exists. Um, it's just a, a ROM hack or some other fan-made game mm-hmm. where Mario is nude. Um, I mean, that it exists somewhere. Still called HTC, you, we'll you never, can find we'll it. We'll never know because we're never going to look for it because we are smarter than that. I remember back in the old days of downloading tons of of Nintendo ROMs when I was in college yeah. uh, to, to play those games again on my university-issued laptop. Like, you would download these, like big packs of like 600 roms and some of those roms would be like rom hack things that were either very innocent like there i remember one that was called super bald brothers where it was just yeah it was just super mario brothers but they didn't have hats or hair they were just bald i mean you say they're innocent but you know that someone's i mean of course yeah i I, relatively probably made to do that Let, let me add a word relatively innocent relatively yeah um, and then there were some that were extremely terrible, either in terms of like being racist or, or you know, you saw Mario's butt. I, you know, that's not necessarily terrible, um, but you know, some people want to see Mario's butt, some don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I have dived, not playing it myself. This is YouTube videos, but I mean, I have seen that game where uh, Sonic is pregnant in the middle of it, and you have to take pictures of like random things coming out of him. Oh, yeah. So, so like, Mario's butt seems so, seems innocent. That's, like, PG. Yeah, that's right. If there's a, if there's a Mario movie now, that would be a PG gag. That's right. It's like, uh, the Bob Hoskins of today would, would have to... Well, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm imagining, like, a CGI. Like, oh, okay. oh, adorable, adorable, like, crass butt joke. Womp womp. Um, so Stone Cold HTC, uh, your 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 question contains multitudes, is what we're saying. Yeah, we we spent way more time on that answer than I expected to. Uh, here's a question from Spam Ultron. Okay. Uh, they want to know. Um, I believe what they mean is opposites attract, even though it's spelled opodites attract. So I will I will go into that assumption. Um, if they remade the opposites attract video with Disney Robin Hood, who would be the human singer? I believe last time you were on the show, we talked a lot about Disney Robin Hood. Was that me? I can't remember. Uh, maybe not. I mean, I I, I, I I like Disney's Robin Hood. I just don't remember if it was. Oh, you know what? I think it was Kel who also oh, has. That's Werewolf. right. 
There you go. Uh, because, well, again, we have we have similar we have similar points of view. It makes sense that you confuse it. It's all it's all good werewolf stuff, and uh, that and, that slid into that slid into uh, anthropomorphic foxes. It, it makes sense. It all sure it, it connects. <laughs> the the thread connects. Um, I'm just it's ha- I'm having trouble imagining. It's just a weird it's a weird choice because that music video whose character I believe is DJ Scat Cat, if I'm That's remembering right. from the from the recesses of my brain that remembers DJ, DJ Scat Cat. DJ Scat Cat, the cartoon cat who loves to smoke. Yeah. It's in the line it's a line. It's, it is a lyric in the song. <laughs> you know, the the early Early nineties were a magical time. Indeed. Yeah. I mean compared to Cool World, like that's just that's just adorable, you know? Um so getting back, it's just weird because like I it's hard for me to imagine Robin Hood like dancing in a video. So I'm having trouble like pairing pairing a character with or like an a performer. Does that make sense? It's yeah. It's I, at tricky. one time, I would have said. At one time, I would have said Kesha. At one time, I, see. At one time, I was thinking like Taylor Swift because she's kind of country. She when she was like still in her like sweet country phase and sort of Disney adjacent. Sure, I I'm just going for like so so they have to be kind of opposites, right? Oh, so, you're right. You're so right. DJ, so. Scat, DJ Scat Cat was kind of the opposite of like that version of Paula Abdul. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm trying to think of somebody who's kind of the opposite of like uh, a, a wholesome Robin Hood, who's also who's also a little bit of a scamp. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I like Pink. I don't know. Yeah, maybe Pink. I wanted like. It's hard because because like oh he's a good guy so I'm gonna have like a mean. A mean act, which I feel like is a judgment call I don't want to necessarily make for a an actual person. Um, yeah, I th- I think um, Pink might be a might be a good choice. Even now, like I think she would get into it. Like she she seems like someone who really enjoy like all of her music videos. She seems to really like dive into the concept of it. I feel like she would actually do a pretty good job. Like bouncing off of off of a fictional character. Yeah, I, I think my problem, the problem both with Kesha and Pink is answers is like it works like circa two thousand, like circa five or six years ago, a lot yeah. better than it works now. Okay, anyway. um, that was way too much thinking about those fictional character questions. We are now out of character corner, and we are going to answer this real uh, chin scratcher of a question from Vanessa. Oh, Vanessa Cool Girl okay. on Twitter, Vanessa Fireside, uh, who simply asks, "Why?" That's the question, isn't it? Yeah, I say as I as I stall. Um, here's 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 what I have to say in response. Why not? Why not? Why not? All right. Uh, here's one last question from Twitter. This is from Robert Secundus. Okay. Uh, and this kind of ties into us talking about uh, Vision and Viv earlier. Oh, cool. Uh, the question is, who is the best robot with feelings? That's obviously, so obviously, Robert means uh, besides very uh, empathetic robot detective Copernicus Jones. 
Yes. Which, where where can people buy... Uh, uh, com- uh, on Comixology. On Comixology. Yeah. <laughs> also, buy, buy Moonlighters. Buy yeah, just, those, just, yeah, just go buy Moonlighters and, and uh, Copernicus Jones and Robot Detective. You'll have a great couple evenings of reading. I feel like um, there's so, there are so many delightful robots. I I tend to I tend to enjoy like sweetheart robots and there are so many. Um I mean since we were talking about Star Wars, like all the droids, but BB eight is is pretty darn sweet. I, I think it took me like two seconds of of him actually being on screen for me like, oh no, I love him. All right, oh, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. It, it is I, amazing how much personality they were able to cram into that little ball. Oh, it's it's amazing. Like it's, and it was one of those things where I was I had guessed that he was going to be like a big jerk, and it's like, oh no, he's a sweetheart. Okay, I'm in. I'm good. Who is the? See, there are so many because I'm thinking of the robot that's in Squirrel Girl occasionally right now. Uh, is it Brain Drain? Or am yes, I thinking? Of, yes. There's Brain Drain. Uh, um, who is who used to be a villain and who Doreen has helped become a good guy, even though he's not super great at it, but he tries really hard, and he's he's very sweet, and he's just trying to get back on his feet again. Um, much in that same vein, and, and this is somebody I was going to say uh, for this, uh, is uh, the awesome android, Andy, uh, who uh, had that great run of being like super likable and sympathetic in uh in She-Hulk for a while. Right, I'm trying to remember. He's he's just like a big blob, like with a like a big cube head. I feel so bad cuz I I have no not I have no memory of I'm going to have to just dive back in. Was it the Charles Soul one or was it earlier? That was Dan Slot. Uh That's She-Hulk. why I cuz I I've, I've read Souls run that's yeah. why i was like i don't remember that yeah okay it's, so so it's not my reading comprehension it's the it's those are the best dan slot comics uh i would wholly recommend that she hulk run okay um, um i'm trying to think again i i feel like adorable sweet robots are it's one of my favorite tropes and so there are like there's so many i can name off uh they are all great in their own ways and they all deserve love it's a movie that I only know from like cultural osmosis, which will make a lot of people upset because it's so big. But like Iron Giant was oh, also, yeah. is also of one course. where like yeah, like you almost you care too much. You care too yeah. much about him. I think I mean I feel like we we named off some several top notch choices here. I, I agree. I, I think we'll just do this one last question. This is from Ephraim okay. Oshinsky on Twitter, uh, who's. Twitter name is currently Othering Heights. Um, And Ephraim says, uh, Kate's always saying that the best stuff in genre fiction is now in in fan fiction. For someone with zero background in fan fiction, where do you start? I would say all the best one, because obviously the work that uh, you can buy from me on Comixology and soon to be in bookstores is the best. But uh, a lot of... A lot of the best, uh, a lot of the more interesting stories in in storytelling right now are coming from fan works. Uh, not just fan fiction in terms of prose, but also fan comics and videos and 
and a lot of other things and fan art. In terms of where to dive in, uh, if you have if you have a story, if you have like if you have a TV show or a movie that you really like, or if you like a pairing, uh, you can uh, Ao3 uh, Archive of Their Own has a bunch of them, and they're actually they're sorted by lots of different tags. Actually, they're sorted by pairings, they're sorted by characters, they're sorted by by the franchises. Uh, Fanfiction.net is a little bit older, but there's a lot of and, and it's also it is also has lots of filters, so you can find the kind of thing you're looking for. Um, Archive of Their Own, I really like because you can also sort by uh, by rating in terms of like in terms of general, basically general PG rated R, and then etc. Uh, so if and you, it also uh, has specific content warnings, so you really don't want anything with um, with gore or with anything explicit. Uh, you can, they'll have a tag at the top so you don't have to find out in the middle. Uh, so, and besides that, I mean, you have Tumblr, you have different fan sites, uh, that do recommendations. I, I, the way I usually do it, even though I don't read a ton of fanfic anymore, just because I don't get to read a lot of new stuff anymore, because I'm always busy writing this comic. <laughs> um, I'm looking right now at my, at like one of my piles of comics that's just sitting on my table. Whenever I find a, a pairing that I tend to like on a TV show or in a book, and it's not getting a lot of in-context or in-canon um, in you know, scenes together, or they're, or it's. I don't think it's going to become canon. Uh, I'll jump into onto one of the fan fiction sites and just see what people are writing. And then, if you really like that a person's writing, then you can click into other things they're doing. And that's usually a good way to go about it. This has been fan fiction one hundred and one. Yes, uh, uh, a course that we all need. <laughs> Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, Katie, it has been so fun talking to you, but I think we got to wrap up uh, our interview segment. Well, I, di- I didn't actually do the, the rundown if you want to ask us a question on Twitter. Um, Thursday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, usually that's the time that I will put out the call for questions on Twitter for our guest. Uh, you can follow me at the Matt D. Wilson. You can follow Chris at the ISB. And, uh, and ask a question at that time once we give out the, the call. You can also ask us listener questions at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that is also where you can send every story ever in panel president lists. Let us know if you want to sponsor the show or just get in touch. If you want to let us know something, just tell us your Ajax dream, whatever you want to do. <laughs> Um, you can also send us questions at our Tumblr, which is warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, that is, sometimes we answer the questions there, sometimes we answer them on the show. Check out our website, which is warrocketajax.com. That is where you can stream the show, download the show, read show notes, and leave comments. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, if you are so inclined. Uh, that is a great place um, for us to get some more attention for the show, which is great. Now we've reached the part of the show where we tell you all the different places you can find us online. For me, all you have to do is go to mattdwilson.net, and you will find links to all my stuff. Katie, 
Katie Schenkel. Yes. Where can people find you online? Most often you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Just Plain Tweets. Uh, if you want to see more of my work in general, uh, my website is katieshankel.com. I occasionally do po- many different podcasts. If you want to check out uh, Chris Haley's uh, feed, when we'll be getting doing more Supergirl stuff coming up, and uh, Elle Collins' Intuit feed. Uh, when Again, when Steven Universe comes back, we will be talking about it. And besides that, you can check out Moonlighters on Comixology, and that's more or less it. Um, and if yeah. people want to find the Chris Haley feed, that's on Apple Podcast as Keep It, Keep it Close to Me. Yeah, and he does a ton of different things, not just Supergirl-related, uh, so you can definitely check out his other stuff that doesn't involve me. I am okay with that. Well, Katie... Uh, I am more than okay with you having been on this show and for talking to me. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this, has been, this has been great. This has been super fun. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm so I'm, glad I was able to come on and, again, evolve from a lowly, a lowly interviewee. Maybe, maybe next time I'll, I'll just have to take over the podcast. Who knows? I, well, th- I guess that's the next logical step. Um, but I'm, I'm three for three on the guest hosts. Yeah. Before we get out of here, I do want to point to one thing that listeners can go do uh, as a charity thing, which is what we've been doing all year. We want to give a shout out to folks in Las Vegas um, after the horrible shooting that happened there um, last week. There is a GoFundMe page. Uh, started by the county commission chair of Clark County, which is the, the county Las Vegas is in. All right, his name is Steve Sisolak, and he has started a GoFundMe to raise money for uh, the victims of the, the shooting uh, that happened last week. Uh, I think it's not only for their medical care, um, but also to uh, help – the National Center for Victims of Crime and and other good causes. Um, so if you just uh, do a Google search for Las Vegas Victims Fund, you will find that GoFundMe page. They are currently trying to raise $15 million. They're at almost $10 million right now. Um, and that's just in three days of raising funds. So that uh, you can help them get to that $15, $15 million goal um, Feel like you're doing something to help um, the folks in Las Vegas. Apparently, blood donations have already skyrocketed past the point that they can even manage. So, monetary donations, I'm sure, uh, are are helpful now. So, uh, you can go there and and kick in a few bucks if uh, if you want to help out. It'd be a good thing to do. And we're done on this episode of War Rocket Ajax. Katie, I'm happy to report. That what we just did was, in fact, HQC, high-quality content. Oh, good. I'm glad for those results. Put a certificate on your wall that says certified HQC, because it's what we did. Oh, I'm going to do that right after we, we're done. Bye, everybody. We love you. Everything to 
flash. 